other than that, I think we're pretty good. Uh, uh, can I, can, and just a quick transition, can I tell you guys a joke? Uh, so there's an RV park not far from my house, and they have a, a, a joke on the sign, and it says, um, why are there no American knock-knock jokes? Because in America, freedom rings. I, <laughs> I loved it. Uh, so, uh, uh, so this all fit perfect. I, I, today, I hope you walk out of here fired up, right? Um, I do one of two things I feel like really well. I think I do one of two things really well, right? I either get you fired up really well or I, 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 I make you hate me really well, right? So uh, uh, there's dividing lines, right? Uh, so uh, I've been working on this message for months, uh, and uh, I've entitled it The Nations, and then there's just a little subtitle down there, The United States, right? And you listen to scholars all the time go, oh, the United States isn't in the Bible, and so, you know, they think more of themselves than they should, and I, I just want to talk about some of those ideas for just a moment, right? But when we talk about the nations and we talk about m missions, right, I hope this morning is a reminder that there is no shelter for the enemy, we are coming for him. As children of God, we will not back down, right? We will not back down. And it doesn't matter if it is in the red light district of the Dominican Republic or whether it is in the slums of Kenya or Mexico or right here in the United States of America. The enemy has no place to hide. And in some places, he doesn't want to hide. Sometimes he does. But the light of, of, of God, the light of the word, it penetrates and destroys. It tears down strongholds. There is no stronghold for the enemy. And that is because of one man. His name is Jesus. And he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So as I dive into this content, I, I need you to answer this question, right? And, in, and uh, I, I could do this out loud, but I'm not going to. I just need you to answer the question, do you consider yourself a Christian, right? right? And I, I, really, I really hope that today that... that you know, we have a lot of behind-the-scenes people that are working to help make sure that our content is online for people that can't be here for various reasons. But even if you're in the process of helping right now, I want you to think about this. Am I a Christian? If I were standing in a group of people and just having a casual conversation, would I be able to say, I'm a Christian? right? Now, I'm not asking you to super define that at the moment. I just want you to say yes or no and hold that little check that little checked box to the side for a few moments, okay? Now, when I was a kid, uh, and sometimes this surprises people, it surprises my kids, my kids, but when I was a kid, I was bullied hardcore, hard, hardcore. And man, let me tell you something, I, I, I about lose my Christianity when I see a bully at work. It, it drives my wife crazy. Like, I will, I will get, like, to the point of hyperventilation, thinking to myself, like, I'm going to go into this person, right? I hate bullies. Uh, I was always called four eyes because I needed glasses, right? So they would call me four eyes. Uh, I remember th there was a group of kids that would shoot me birds because I didn't know what it was, right? So they were always holding up their middle finger. And I was like, what is wrong with you? Like, what are you doing? Getting that up, you know, you know that, that, that mentality. They were always as mean as they could be. I was overweight as a kid, so I was called fat all the time. Like, it was just a barrage of being put down, mocked, and ridiculed. But I was a follower of Christ. And so on the bus, people would always pick on me for my faith. And you might think, what? In the United States, that doesn't make any sense. Kids are mean right? So kids would ask me, does God have a last name? And I'd be like, I, you know, I don't know the Bible very well. I don't think so. And then they would tell me that his last name was D-A-M-N. And so they would just say that to get a rise out of me, right? Now, there were a lot of things that didn't help in those regards, you know? I mean, I, I was raised pretty sheltered, so I just, I didn't know a lot of things, right? There's a lot of uh, terminology, especially around sex, that I just did not know what they were talking about because my mom and dad took me to church and didn't sit around the house watching pornos and talking about inappropriate things, whatever, whatever that looks like in their homes, you know what I'm saying? But they would be talking about these things, and I'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about, right? So then that would pursue, I would get made fun of more and more. So guys, I was in seventh grade, and I was being made fun of every day. They called me Bible thumper because I would get to school early and stand outside the, the, the doors. Like They had this weird rule. When you got to school, you weren't allowed in the building until the bell rang. 
So we all stood outside of the school, and it's just this great opportunity. I'm, you know, 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th grade. I'm like, man, I'll just stand outside and have a Bible study with whoever wants to have a Bible study. And there were like three or four of us, and we'd have a Bible study. And so, like, when I talk about being a Bible nerd, I came by it really young. I was a Bible nerd. I just sat out there. And, and what was amazing to me is that we would have prayer at the, at, the, at the pole, right? I don't know if they still do that, like prayer at the pole. So you'd come gather around the United States flag and pray. And they did that once a year, right? And what's crazy is those same kids that would mock me and say the most incredulously terrible things to me, they were always standing around that pole praying, right? And, and I would think to myself, well, at least they're here, right? But, but I, I was made fun of a lot, right? This was hardcore. And so... When, when we entered into uh, 2019 and 2020, and the, the United States had a uh, plethora of conversations beginning to birth around uh, gender, I'll take a handheld if y'all want to bring me one, gender ideology or uh, whether it was racial ideologies, and then, you know, of course, we were in the middle of a pandemic, and I, I had people who were coming at me and, and, and telling me that something was wrong with me, right? And they were telling me, I had, I had one guy screaming and yelling at me on the phone one day. I was in my, in my driveway, and uh, he's yelling at me about, uh, you know, basically at, at the end of the day what a terrible person I am because I am not bought into some of the... Uh, uh, and I'm trying to be really delicate in what I'm saying. I thought about this for all night last night. I laid in bed going, how do I say it, you know? Uh, you know, well, I mean, at the end of the day, like, people just calling me racist because I would not be a part of the things they wanted me to be a part of. And uh, then inside of that, uh, I preached a message on a, on a 4th of July, uh, and that message was around some of our founding fathers' faith. And, and, you know, you'd go, and th there's a really great YouTube clip you should watch of Jon Stewart when he was doing his, like, daily show uh, comedy thing and talking about how the Founding Fathers are not Christians, right? They were not believers. And uh, they bring on this historian, uh, David Barton, and uh, they're kind of, the lead up is like, oh, we're going to tear this guy apart. Now, David Barton owns more documents from the original uh, from the Founding Fathers than any museum in the world. He owns more of them. The reason he buys them and raises money to do so is because when, they're, when they are purchased, they are hidden, right? And they're not made public. And, and, and he argues that it's because of a suppression of an ideology, right? It's like we don't want people to know exactly what these guys thought. And so uh, John Stewart's talking about how George Washington was not a Christian, and then he brings out a letter from George Washington, and of course it's in this big glass case, and you know, John Stewart's like freaking out, like you actually brought the letter here, and he's like, yeah, if I didn't bring it here, you wouldn't have believed me. And it's in his own words talking about Jesus. So you know, I make this, this idea, and then some people go, you know, Pastor Jim, you're just a nationalist, right? And so all of a sudden, we start hearing that conversation about, man, do we, we, America is messed up. We can't be nationalists, and if you love America, something's wrong with you. I mean, I don't know if you know this or not, but get on social media right now, and there are F the United States of America rallies happening all around the country tomorrow, right? So if you want to go and be a part of tearing down the nation, you can go do that. And, uh, and then something else happened in my life, and on July 2nd of 2021, my wife, whom I've known since I was 13 years old, went to have surgery to have cancer removed, right? And so this was yesterday, right, was the, the, the date one year ago that I ended up out of the pulpit for like four months, right, taking care of her, and then we got COVID like hardcore. I got pneumonia in the middle of that. Just a really difficult time, and something happened in the midst of all of that. I remembered how much I hate bullies, and I got really upset, right? I got really aggravated, and I kept thinking to myself, I am so tired of not being able to preach the Word of God because somebody else is going to come and attack me behind the scenes. And there was a whole group of people that left the church, you know, 20 or 30 people exited out over a period of time. And it finally hit me one day, I, I'm sitting here and, and, and I'm praying, and I felt like God said, you can't separate the wheat and the chaff 
without separating the wheat and the chaff. I mean, we talk about it, but you can't do it. And he said, and you can't have something new. You can't have a church or a ministry in that analogy, right, in that illustration, and not have it all come together initially, right? You don't get the wheat without the chaff. You don't, it's not like you open the doors and only like certain people are good at just getting wheat to walk through. There is wheat and there is chaff. And so, man, I just begin to feel some freedom. Now, I still am pretty delicate about like trying not to offend when I don't have to offend. But I, I gotta tell you at the end of the day that I believe the Bible, right? Like a crazy man, I look at that as like, the Bible is God's Word. It's yes and amen. It's truth. It separates fact from fiction. And I, if something, if somebody comes up and says, well, blah, 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 and this is what the Bible says, do you know what? The, that does not make me ever go, ooh, man, the Bible might be wrong. It makes me go dive into the Bible and figure out what's going on. And 100% of the time, 43 years of age, every single time I go back into the Word, I always find there is truth inside of it. I never find something that somebody says to me to disprove the Bible. Like, one of those things is like, oh, you believe the Bible? Like, you believe in a talking snake, right? And at the time, I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess I do think about a talking snake in the serpent. So, I had to go and read and go, well, it's not even talking about a, 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 a talking snake in there, right? Like, the language, when we're looking at the Hebrew language, that same serpent that's being spoken of is in the throne room of God, right? So, there is, there's, there is a lot going on in this text, and we, right, can, as Christians, can tend to just not care. I would just, I, I'm going to go beyond it and just be honest. Like, it's not just a simple fact of being like, like, I just didn't know. A lot of Christians just don't care. They just don't care. And the reason is because we started kind of pulling this idea of, like, this eternal security idea. And it was like, look, I got saved, right? There was a camp, and we went swimming, and we had marshmallows, and a really cool guy or girl told me about their salvation experience. The youth pastor asked me if I were to die in a terrible car wreck, would I go to heaven or hell? And I thought I would go to hell, so I got saved, and I did it. I did my thing. I marked my box, and now when you ask me if I believe in Christ, I believe in Christ. The problem is, is that then we allow culture to drive all of the rest of our ideologies, which brings me to the question, what is a nation, right? Independence, 4th of July, the United States of America, seems like an appropriate conversation to have to talk about what a nation is. And uh, so, I want to take a look at what the Bible has to say about nations. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we enter into the creation story. And in case you did not know this, in the Hebrew, it's actually a poem. So, we don't read it as poetry because when we translate it, it doesn't rhyme. But the creation story is actually Hebrew poetry. And so, we look at it, and what do we find out? God makes all these things, and He says, it is good. He sees the creation that he has made as being wholesome, right? Okay, now, uh, oh, hold on, my slides are out of order. This is my fault. Sin enters, and it creates a fracture. Now, I want you to think about this fracture, right, when sin enters the picture. It goes all the way from the Higgs boson, which is the God particle. If you don't know what that is, go look it up. It's the, the smallest particle that they've been chasing. This is why the CERN uh, uh, machine uh, is, you know, has been created to ram up, uh, ramp up the speed of particles so they can find this elusive thing they call the God particle. All the way from there, cellular structure to the largest objects in our universe, right? All the way across. Sin impacts it all. It goes straight across. There, this fracture is, it starts at the most microscopic level, and it goes to the macroscopic. There is nothing that is not impacted by sin. In fact, we find that it won't take long for uh, Adam and Eve to be removed from the garden. Somebody murders their brother, right? I mean, the world is shifting and changing very quickly. We get to Genesis 6, and sexual immorality becomes rampant, and wickedness is the path of all men. God looks down and says, man, <laughs> I kind of regret having made these guys, right? I gave them free will, and look at what they've done with it, right? So, He floods the earth, 
and uh, uh, saves Noah and his wife, their three sons and their wives. And then he puts a rainbow in the sky, and that rainbow is a reminder that God will not flood the earth again because of the sins of mankind. He won't do that again, right? The next time that there will be destruction, it will be through fire. We know that later in the story, but he says, I'm not going to do this again. And what does mankind do? Humanity, once again, abandons God and intends to control God by building the Tower of Babel. Now, God's response to the Tower of Babel is to divide them by languages and in so doing creates the nations. So here we go from creation to the Tower of Babel, and we've talked about this. All of a sudden now, we have the nations of the earth. Now, you would think that if nations were a bad thing, right, being a part of a nation, then that would be a consistent idea presented through Scripture. We would just consistently see God going, man, the nations are a mess, and and we got to do away with them. But that's not what we see. In fact, moving right into Genesis 12, verse 1, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is called the Abrahamic covenant. So there are nations that are now developed. They have been separated out. Abraham hears from God, and God says, I'm going to use you to start a new nation, and that nation is going to be a blessing to everybody, right? It's going to be a blessing to all families on the earth. Genesis 18, we see that that covenant, that promise that is repeated in the presence of other men. In Genesis 26, it's passed to Isaac. In Genesis 28, it's passed to Jacob, right? And then we end up with uh, Egypt, right? And the disaster of the Hebrew people multiplying to the point that Pharaoh looks and thinks, man, these people are growing at such an incredible rate. This is a group of people that believe having children is okay, right? They, they value family. There's an expansion taking place. And what does he do? He, he enslaves them, and God takes Moses and says, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let the people go. I have a purpose and a plan for them. Now, so just, just a little, like just pause here in the midst of all of this. Do you understand that it does not matter if Pharaoh is coming after you, if you have a purpose and plan in your life built by God, then God's going to make a way. He's going to make a way. And so this is what he does. And then once they get out of Egypt, Deuteronomy chapter 4, God gives them the Ten Commandments, right? And this is where a lot of people kind of fall off the bandwagon. They go, I'm not serving a God that has a bunch of rules of do this and don't do that, right? And I think to myself when I hear that now, when I was younger, I used to think, oh, yeah, that's true. You know, I don't like it when my mom and dad tell me what to do. Why do I want a God telling me what to do? We were talking about a group of people who lived in a world where they could do nothing without the approval of somebody else. You had, you had a handful of men who ruled the entire world with absolute authority, and they had all these gods that they created. You could not plant your harvest without permission, right? You could not have a family without permission. Every single thing that these people did on planet Earth at this point in time was built around the fact that everything has a law to the land. And God comes in, and what He presents to them is completely contrary to everything they had been taught. You see, the Ten Commandments really pitted wisdom against foolishness. And when we look at the Ten Commandments, we are not looking at some group of laws that are like to oppress you. They are a group of, they are ten instructions with the rest of the law meant to free you. It is a better way to live life. It produces better fruit. And so this becomes the mantra for Christianity, wisdom versus foolishness, right? When we ask the question, why do Christians view marriage through the covenant 
right, through the covenant lens. We do so because of wisdom versus foolishness. We trust that God's way is a better way, not because, well, God said I have to do it, so I'm going to be in big trouble if I don't, right? That's not my primary reason for honoring God. My primary reason is that I trust Him, that God knows better than I do. Now, that's really difficult, right, when we are surrounded by people who we do care about and we do love, and they object to it, and they don't want to live by that standard. That's okay, right? We cannot force somebody to be a Christian, and we can't expect, I say this, we cannot expect a non-Christian to act like a Christian. If they're not saved, why would they act saved? But we need to, right? Why do Christians have uh, the sexual ethic that we do, right? Because of wisdom and foolishness. Why do Christians view money the way that we do? Why do Christians, uh, why do we raise our children the way that we do? And why do Christians Uh, value life the way that we do. We do all of these things because we have a biblical understanding of how to look at them, how to operate inside of them, and we trust that God knows better than anybody with a PhD that wants to stand against the Word of God, right? It doesn't matter what the professor is saying. As Christians, we go, no, God's way has a tried and proven record of being right. Time and time again, nation after nation, turning their back on God, they find failure. They serve God, they find success, right? And at the end of the day, it's because a pursuit of righteousness and holiness, it matters. It matters in our lives because God's way is better than man's and man's way leads to destruction. Now, what has God been doing in the midst of all of this? He has been establishing a nation in the midst of the nations. That's Israel. And for what purpose is Israel made a nation? Well, it goes on from here to tell us exactly why God developed Israel as a nation. First Chronicles 16, David declares that the nations should worship God. Well, who's presenting God? Israel is presenting God. In the Psalms, it's filled with the nations coming to worship God. Where are they coming? They're coming to Israel to worship God. Isaiah 26 proclaims it is Israel's mission to be God's voice to the nations. Ezekiel 5, Israel's location is intentional so that none could escape the stories of what God has done. So geographically, God picks Jerusalem and Israel on purpose because it's the center of the known world. So that what God is doing and the testimony of God's goodness could be told among the nations. Daniel 6, a Gentile king, declares that all should fear the God of Daniel. Daniel's living out here. He's been abducted from his land, and, and, and he's now serving a king that doesn't care anything about God, and yet God shows up in his life, and this king says we should all be worshiping the God of Daniel. Why is that? It's the, the reason that they should be doing it is because this is the only God showing up. They're praying to all these other gods. They're talking to all these other gods. You've even got some men declaring themselves as God, and yet nothing supernatural is coming out of any of them except for Yahweh. Amos 9, God tells Israel that He loves all nations, not just them. Malachi 1, God's name would be great among all nations. And here's what's crazy. There are 437 examples of this just in the Old Testament of the importance of the nations worshiping God. And and the language is good for us to understand. He does not just say humanity, but he looks at us based on our geographical locations, the governments that we're under, the, the, the place where we live. We are identified as part of a nation. And God does not say, listen, everybody needs to be revolting against their nation and moving to Israel to be Israelites. No, what he wants is all the nations to know him. He wants the Dominican Republic to know him. He wants the people of Kenya to know him. He wants the people of the United States to know him. And then the argument comes, well, Jesus is love, man. Jesus was just love. That's, you know, we got to be love, and Jesus was just love, right? I mean, that's so deep. I just want you to think about how deep that statement is and how often we hear that. Oh, no, man. Like, I, I don't buy all the Bible stuff, but Jesus, man, he was love. When you read what he said, he was love. And, I, and, and, you know, there was a point in my life where I was like, well, I just don't know the word that well. And I would think, I, I mean, I, I guess, right? But then we find a passage like in Mark 11, right? Jesus is chasing people with a DIY whip in the temple, right? 
He sat down and made his own whip so that he could beat them out of the temple. Now, I got to tell you something, right? I don't know if you were ever disciplined as a child, right? I was. Thank you, Dad, Mom. Spankings is what I'm talking about, right? Do you, do you, when you got a spanking, were you ever thinking in that moment, love, 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 love? And do you ever tell a story about a spanking from the perspective of, let me tell you how much my mom and dad loved me. I got a letter sent home, and I signed my mom's name to it so I wouldn't have to tell her about it and get grounded. She spanked me because she loved me. Nobody's telling that story that way, right? But yet it is love. And it's also not the story that people want to talk about. Verse 17, and he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written? So he's already chased them off. He's already beaten them with his little whip. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Jesus comes on the scene and he doesn't do away with this like idea of the nations. No, he chases out the grifters right? The people that are using the church to make money. There's so much nonsense in the church today, guys. There's so much nonsense happening right in the platform from the pulpits of churches, right? Michael showed me a clip of, a, of somebody saying, talking about the Holy Spirit and saying, you know, whoever he or she is to you, right? The problem with that, and I, I, mean, this is, I know I step on so many toes sometimes, but it's okay. Some of you, I don't. Some of you are okay with it. But think about this, right? So the ideology is this. Once somebody tells you what their pronouns are, if you don't use their pronouns, you're in the wrong, right? Okay? So even if you do buy into the ideology of the pronoun game, Man, the Holy Spirit uses the pronouns he, him. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit he, him. God talks about it in the he, him. So now on top of the fact that we're getting crazy, we're also using, we're misgendering the Holy Spirit, right? So the Holy Spirit is perfectly comfortable with being who he is. It's not a problem for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not up there going, man, I wish people just better understood my gender right now, you know? The Holy Spirit wants to be in you. I'll get to that in a moment. Verse 18, and the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. What was his teaching? His teaching was, hey, I'm not here to take advantage of you. I'm here to tell you that this is a house of prayer for the nations, that we are going to be the light in the darkness, right? And yet, what, what, what's going on? The people are going, oh, man, that's good. That's good. Can, they're amening Jesus right there on, on, on the steps of the temple. And who's upset? The chief priests. Not the secondary priest or the little priest assistant or the person running. We're talking about the people who are in charge, the pastors of the day. And they're sitting here going, well, I'm sorry, but I, we've, we just don't necessarily interpret it that way. Jesus is saying, listen, there's a consistent idea, idea going on here that we're going to be a house of prayer for the nations. And uh, Ma uh, Matthew 24, what does he say? And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Uh, Galatians 3, 7, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Verse 8, look at this. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations nations be blessed. What? Now, I know, I know this can be a little bit confusing, but the author here is making the argument that when God showed up to Abraham, he was doing it so he could turn the cultural norms on their head so that when all the nations were sitting here going, no, we're better than that nation and we got this thing figured out, that Israel would show up on the scene and that God would be made known through Israel and that all of the nations would receive blessing because of that. You go on to verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, the second verse makes a difference here because why? Because it's not just about being in the nation, but it's about being of faith in the nation, right? There's a blessing that comes there. Now, this is the point. The Bible tells one story, 
right? Genesis to Revelation is not this like, well, this discombobulated, like torn up, messy little idea of stories, right? There's consistency, right? And some of those consistent narratives are things like the nations, right? That the nations play a role in God's plan. God created the nations, and just like with everything He has created, the enemy seeks to pervert or destroy it, right? I mean, does it not make sense that if the Bible says God made the nations and that God's hope is that the nations will cry out to Him, that they will know Him, does it not make sense to you then that there would be some type of attack on the idea of being in a nation, Right? That, this is the revelation that I kind of started having uh, just a couple of months ago. We were at a 5K for Young Life, and uh, I know you were thinking, like, Jim, you were at a, at a 5K. Yes, it's my second one. Thank you very much. I didn't run much of it, but I did all 5K. I'm trying, all right? But they started singing the national anthem, and I started reflecting on the fact that people were like, oh, Pastor Jim, you talk about America, what a terrible human being you are. And, and I started going, hold on, I'm in the middle of preparing for this, like, prophecy series, and we're going to be in Revelation, and it just dawned on me, like, like we're in Revelation, we're throughout Scripture, There's, the nations don't go anywhere, the, the nations are not absolved, dissolved, they're not gone, they're not made defunct. Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." So what does he tell them? Like Jesus' last like in-person conversation with his closest followers was go to the nations and tell them to rebel against their governments and burn it to the ground. No. He says, go and tell them all I have commanded you. Teach them to do what? Build up churches that are houses of prayer for what? The nations, so that the world will know the glory of God. And let me tell you, those present, this is so crazy. They did not view this as a suggestion. They did not go, you know, I'm really hoping Bob does that. I feel like that's his calling, you know. I'm going to be making pottery for the rest of my life, though, for the glory of God. Hallelujah. You know, I know he told me to go do this, but somebody else is going to have to be the one. And, And then we get all the way to the very last chapter of our text, Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So where are we? We are, we are, Jesus has, Jesus has shown up. He's established His kingdom, right? We have the new Jerusalem. Whatever that crazy next age of reality looks like, we're all stepped into that, right? Right? So it's the, it's the believers, like you hear me say this all the time, it just blows my mind. The believers are allowed to enter the city, Right? But if you're not a believer, you're not allowed to enter the city. So who's on the outside? And if Jesus is on the inside, why would I ever go outside, right? But yet I'm allowed to come and go because I'm a child of God? Is that, it's, a, it's a crazy idea to think about. This is where we're at. And it says that through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, And so even in the very end, God doesn't go, well, we're going to tear all the nations down. We're just going to be one giant nation. I don't know what that looks like. And you might be going to yourself, you know, saying to yourself, well, Pastor Jim, are you saying the United States of America is going to be a nation? I'm telling you, I don't know. But there are going to be nations. And why would there be nations if there weren't people of those nations and if we weren't known by those nations? And so having a nationality and knowing where you come from and where you call home and being proud of that doesn't seem to be some cursed ideology inside of Scripture. In fact, it seems to be something that God is going to continue to fight for. And no matter how many times somebody gets up and says, you can't be a nationalist, you can't blah, 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 God, blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you what God's going to do. God's going to heal all the nations. So yeah, there might be things that need to be fixed. There is, can I just say there are absolutely things that need to be fixed, and we can talk about that from either political side of the spectrum. We can go, well, this needs to be done, and that needs to be done. Jesus is going to do it all. He's going to step on everybody's toes. He's going to lift everybody's arms, and there's going to be healing that's going to take place. But he is not going to abandon his design. And all of this comes from a belief in the Bible, a belief in the Bible. So here's where I'm going to, where I'm going to wrap up, Okay.
Think about it for a moment. How many lives were sacrificed so that you and I could gather here? How many people heard the gospel? How many people heard the gospel and said, all right, I'll go, and went into the most dangerous parts of the world, unknown territories, unknown regions to share the gospel, and they were murdered for their faith? How many people uprooted their families, looked at moms and dads and sons and daughters and said, I'll never see you again. I'm going to a place where I won't be able to get back from for the glory of God. And they hugged each other for one last time and walked out the door so that you and I could sit right here in this room with air conditioning to worship Jesus. The idea and the culture of missions and missionary-mindedness is something that is so hard oppressed and attacked right now, it's disgusting. Because if it weren't for missionaries, there are so many countries in this world that would still be developing if it had not been for Christians that brought medicine and, and reading and writing and added value to the nations of other lands, including the United States of America. It was a group of Christians from every tribe and tongue, every nation that said, Jesus is worth it all, and I don't think I'm exempt or excluded from the call. I'm called to be something, to go somewhere and do something. Now, I'm going to go through a couple of stats real quick, and I just want to tell you right now, if you're a millennial, I am not in here to step on your toes, all right? I just want to encourage you. I want to challenge maybe your way of thinking. I love you. I've committed my life as a youth pastor when I was a youth pastor to mentoring and raising up what would become adult millennials, right? As a pastor, our churches are filled with millennials. So do not go like, oh, Pastor Jim hates millennials. That's what happens every time I mention a, a statistic that has to do with that age group. Somebody goes, you're just always so mean to millennials, Pastor Jim. I'm, I'm just, all I'm going to do is share truth with you right? And if it feels mean, then be better, right? That's what I need in my life, right? My wife looks at me and says, Jim, that was wrong, right? I could go, you're so mean, right? No, I got to be better. I got to do better. All right. 58% of millennials say they are absolutely certain of their belief in God. That means that 58% of millennials, when asked if they're a Christian, say, I'm a Christian. Now, I'm not going to say that this just in the millennial group, because this goes into Gen Xers, and this goes down into Gen Z. The study, which the links will be available in the descriptions for you, right, that they have this belief in God. 50% of millennials say they are politically independent. Why does that matter inside of this study? Well, this is why. 68% of millennials vote for activist causes that violate a biblical worldview. So there is some large overlap inside of millennials that will say, I know that Jesus is king, I am a Christian. I will absolutely vote for people to be able to live in a life that does not honor God. 90% of millennials believe that it is not good to share the gospel in an attempt to see someone converted. Do you, do you, I just, the reason I bring these numbers up is because this is the first time in the history of the world that people have had an encounter with the living God, and we have had a civilization that has said, yeah, but, you know, it's really mean to talk about Jesus. And the only reason that you can come to that conclusion is because you don't believe in the entirety of the Word of God. Maybe that hurts a little bit right now, but it is the truth because the Word of God says that it will only be those that confess Jesus as Lord that will be saved. Universalism is a lie from the pit of hell. It is not going to save anybody. And you might think to yourself, well, if I were God, I would do it different, right? And if you were God, we would all be listening to you. I'm not God, you're not God. God knows best. And I don't understand all the ins and the outs, and I may never, but I believe that we will. I believe that we'll have better understanding of why it is this way. But here's the thing. If we do not share the gospel, people will not know Jesus. And it should matter to us that people repent and change the way that they are living. It should matter to us. And let me tell you, the problem spans into the pulpit. These were the numbers that blew my mind in my preparation. So uh, a couple of years ago, we did a whole study on why we believe the Bible based out of some information released by Arizona Christian University, which was led by the Barnum Group. And the Barnum Group is the foremost in Christian statistics. Like they 
They, they, they run the best of the best when they're talking about pulling information and doing it in a way that is, you know, double-blind studies, all the things that matter to make sure that you're getting real data. They put out this, uh, over the course of the last three months, they have been putting out some data, all based on, the, on a biblical worldview. So to move to our next idea, we have to define what is a biblical worldview. So a biblical worldview, they define it as make, made up of eight categories. One, believe the Bible, you believe there is truth, and you believe that there are morals, okay? Number two, you have faith practices, meaning that because you believe these things, they're a part of your life, right? I'm going to live out that which I believe to be true. Number three, family they have a, a, a biblical view of family and the value of life. Number four, they have a view that God is God. He is the creator and that all of history declares God's goodness. Number five, that human character and nature, right, are at odds with one another, another the idea of, of sin, right? Number six, lifestyle, behavior, and relationships matter to God. Number seven, purpose and calling is something that every single Christian has. A biblical worldview says I'm saved, I have a purpose and a calling. What is it? I can't tell you, but God has a reason for you being here. And number eight, sin is real, salvation is necessary, and a relationship with God is something that you can achieve. So these are the eight categories that they, that they used to define a biblical worldview. And this is, this is just the first, and uh, we've got the link to this as well in the description. We're actually, I'm going to order some copies and have them available because it's a lot of information that's really kind of mind-blowing. Among all Christian pastors, 37%, only 37% have a biblical worldview. Examples are of a pastor getting up and saying, hey, guys, now y'all know I don't really believe in God, but if I did, man, this verse in the Bible would be so awesome. And a congregation of people cheering and clapping at what's being said. And you think, oh, that's, that's crazy town, right? 37%. And then they break it down based on the, the way that the churches look. I got to tell you that it is the, the independent churches non-denominational, less than 250, have the highest number of biblical-believing worldview pastors. And so we fall in that category. I want you to know that if I preach something that's not biblical and somebody comes to me and says, Pastor Jim, that ain't what the Bible says, you're going to hear me get up here and apologize for it, okay? Right? Because I want, I trust that God's way is the best way. So every Christian is here today because someone rejected a non-biblical worldview. Somebody looked at it when the world said, look, we can do it this way and still be Christians. Paul writes 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, which we're in right now, and he's telling the church, no, you can't. You cannot do it. You cannot bend to the children of Satan, the world's, the culture, cultural views of the world, right, and still be in pursuit of Jesus. Jesus requires it all from you. You've got you've to make a decision which it's going to be. And there was a group of people who said, all right, I'll reject cultural norms for the Jesus of the Bible. And they went out and they shared the gospel. And for thousands of years, there has been a group unwilling to compromise. And I just got to tell you, I thank God for that. I thank God for people who have said, no, I don't care if it makes me the enemy. I'm going to share the gospel. I don't care if it costs me my life. I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to do what Jesus has called me to do. I'm reminded when uh, you're in, when we did our teaching on the uh, Galatians, right? And Paul is writing, and he talks about this this ailment that he had, right? And he says, "You did not reject me in the midst of my ailment," right? And in Corinthians, he talks about how he went to the Lord because it was a thorn in his flesh. Whatever that ailment, that illness was, it must have been repulsing enough for people to have been off you know, put off by what they were seeing, but yet they did not reject him. And he says that when I went to God and said, God, will you heal me? God, will you deliver me? God says, no, my grace is sufficient. And the reminder being that sometimes it is okay to go through a difficult situation. It is not every time that something difficult happens and you don't get a good parking spot at the mall, it is not because God's trying to get you, right? I think about the people who are, they get their parking spot up front and they say, look at God. Look at God. 
God is okay with you walking through difficult situations. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And look at this word here, and, 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 right? Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That literally in the Greek means also or namely, like giving some, there's like Jerusalem, but mainly Judea, and Judea, but mainly to, to the, the rest of the world, right? Like, 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 like this is important, and you're going to have to do this, but you've got to get this right because it's also got to happen here. And then you've got to get it there because it's also got to happen here. And look at this language. This was something that I had just caught when I was preparing, and I thought, well, hold on, and to the end of the earth. And I always thought that it said, I always quoted it, and to the ends of the earth, right? And it really made me kind of pause and realize that this idea of the end of the earth could either be talking about time or geography, and that it may not simply be that, you know, once you've hit Australia or China or whatever the exact opposite end of the earth is, you've done your thing, that there is a continuous need for missions and missionaries. And I got to tell you right now, People in Kenya are talking about sending missionaries to America because of some of the things that they're seeing. Thank God that they're willing to think that way. Praise be to Jesus that He has people around this world that, that, that love the Lord and that the Lord loves us enough to put us on their hearts. And so this message is not exclusively for America or even primarily the nations. We are all equal when we talk about the nations. Yet, America is the nation in which God has placed us. We are in the United States of America, and our nation matters. This is our identity. We are Americans, and we can be okay with being Americans and serving Jesus and being a beacon of hope for the rest of the world. And the thing that always comes up, right, when we talk about this is that someone else will do it, right? And I, I think it's because you think that there are like, like, uh, like we think, like when we, we watch like a, a Marvel movie, right? It's like, oh, you know, Thanos is going to kill everybody. <laughs> Glad we've got superheroes, right? There are no superheroes. There's no superhero Christian out there, right? The majority of the people who are telling you every day in an Instagram post that God told them something new today, they're not going to have a good track record going with that. It's not exactly how God operates. I mean, we go from Malachi to Jesus showing up hundreds of years, and it's total silence among the prophets. God doesn't speak once, not once. So God's, okay, God's also okay with going, I already told you what to do. I don't need to keep telling you what to do, right? If I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, kid. There aren't superhero Christians out there. There are just people that are willing to believe that the call is on their life. And I go back to verse 8, and what does he say? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So if there is anything that's close to a superhero, it is you. Why? Because you have power. You have power. We have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And because we have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, on our lives, through our lives, we have the ability to walk in purpose and freedom. And for some, that does mean you're going to work the job you're in right now, and you're going to be light in the darkness every day there. And for some, it's going to be going into the uh, darkest places of the world to share the gospel. For some, it's going to be just like what the DeJesus has just got back from. It's going to be going and touching, making touch points, coming in, ministering to people, coming back, saving up, going back giving a touch point, coming back. It's going to look like all of those things among us. And by the grace of God, the United States of America may not be an end times prophecy, but we can be one of the nations that stands among those in the throne room, bringing the very best of what we have to him, saying, all hell, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I come from the United States of America. It's a little place called Savannah, Georgia. Maybe you've heard of it. Jesus is my king. And I'm okay with that. Amen? Amen? Let's stand to our feet. I'm going to pray for you. Our prayer ministry team is going to be available in the back. If you're sick in body, if you want to know this Jesus, if you're like, man, you know what? I've been calling myself a Christian for a while, but I don't actually believe in this Jesus. And today I want to make that right. Let me tell you something. We just want to pray with you and encourage you, get you plugged into discipleship. You got to know Jesus. 
and you got to believe his word. Like, they just aren't separable. You can't, you cannot do this whole, like, I don't really believe the Bible, but I believe in God. You've got a whole new religion going, bro. Like, like you're, you're, in a, you're in a whole different category than what is Christianity. And it's time to know him and know his truth. So if you're sick in body, if you are going through a difficult season, prayer ministry team will be there to pray with you. If you want to know him, we'll be there to pray with you. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. I thank you for this day, Lord, that you are alive and well. Lord, I pray that our church would be a house of prayer for the nations, that from this place, nations would be reached, and even so, that our city would be reached. Lord, help me as a leader to be able to withstand the invasion of, of, of a culture that demands that we reject the, the truths of Scripture. Give me the, the capacity, Lord, and the wherewithal as the pastor to be able to even reject that that comes from other pulpits that dishonors you and does not align with your word. Lord, I pray that we would continue to see you move through your might, that we would see miracles, Lord, healing among the sick, lives being transformed, nations being raised up out of poverty because of your goodness and your mercy. We celebrate the land we live in. We celebrate that you have given us a home, that you have called us your people. We love you and praise you in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Hey, guys, happy Independence Day. I pray that tomorrow is a good day for you. As always, go change your world. We'll see you next Sunday, 2 Corinthians.